Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Noah Baker from Voices of Construction. I guess good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on how you're listening to this. It's rainy, rainy, rainy here in Boston, but, you know, keeping the spirits up. Summer's almost over, so we got to enjoy it. Um, so I'm, I'm coming back to you with this episode. In this episode, we're, we're actually speaking to Mike Dickerson and Andrew Pyland. Uh, Mike is a safety consultant um, for Captive Insurance Group and construction industry and actually has 12 years of experience in safety and health. He's a certified safety professional, has his master's in safety science. In fact, that was some of the more interesting parts of this conversation is just talking about the human nature behind, behind following rules um, and, and safety on site and, and knowing that there's danger and, and still not paying attention. Both these gentlemen are um, ex-armed forces and and Marines, Um, so we have some veterans on the show for y'all. Andrew uh, was super for many, many years and also part of the TouchPlan team here on our partnerships team. Really great guys. In fact, they're both from Texas. I loved having them both together in the same room when we had this conversation. Um, know each other from the past, so you definitely get some of that amazing banter and, and conversation. Really, I think this one is self-explanatory and, and really just a great listen. So I'll, I'll leave it up to them and look forward to uh, you guys enjoying this one. Talk to you soon. Bye. Let's kick it off. I mean, I'm interested to know, you know, Andrew, you you introduced me to, to Mike and, and we kind of chatted before this, but... How do you guys meet each other? What's the backstory? I know you're both in Texas, but I'll let you guys kind of kick it off and, and let the listeners know exactly uh, who you guys are and how you met and why you're here today. Yeah, Mike, go tell us all about yourself. I'm Mike Dickerson. I'm a safety consultant uh, for an insurance captive group out of Texas. Um, we're here in Fort Worth today, but uh, um Andrew and I crossed paths um, uh, in Oakland originally, and I think Andrew was on his way out for a trip to the sandbox, <laughs> and uh, I think I was up there for a visit. Um, but uh, we we worked together on some uh, mission critical projects a while back. Uh, yeah, I think Mike, uh, the first time I think you were the first person I met. Uh, really. Because I had to do my safety orientation. And so day one, I get shuffled into your safety orientation. That's brutal. Yeah. And uh, and you, you're, uh, there may be five of us, you know, the job was winding down and we transitioned into that maintenance and, and retrofit phase. And uh, yeah, I remember. And I was still taking it seriously. You're still taking it very seriously. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I just remember walking in and seeing you with your, uh, you your your vest was all tight, professional, you had your radio on, very, very precise mannerisms. Um, just throughout the whole safety orientation, I was really thinking, wow, this dude, this dude's a professional. I love it. Uh, and but when I walked into your office, you had a, a meme of sorts on your wall. Maybe it was on your laptop, I forget. But it it, it has like CVs versus Red Horse or something. <laughs> or it was like Batman slapping Robin. Right, where it's where like, no, red horse, you know, where so, uh, you know, knowing Mike had a military, seeing that Mike had a military background there, uh, we connected. It started to make sense. Just, yeah, things really started to make <laughs> sense. 
Uh, yeah, but no, so to introduce me, um, so Andrew Pylan, I'm a superintendent for a general contractor, uh, same general contractor with Mike, working on some big mission approval projects in Oklahoma and in Texas. We worked on the Texas project together for a while, yeah. Um, and I, I started out actually in oil field. I was a completions engineer for Halliburton for about a year until the oil field crashed and decided that hey, I probably need to you know, do something that relates and um, got a job working as a, a field engineer on a pipeline to eventually be a superintendent. Started in, in Oklahoma and you know, five years later, uh, I just now made the jump to come work at Touch Plan uh, and, and go back to school full time, uh, pursuing my master's. So it's, it's it's worked out pretty well. But and tonight, I just wanted to bring bring Mike in and, and talk safety and construction a little bit, and hope our listeners get something out of this here. Because I think the the big piece we'll talk about is how. A field team, so from, from my perspective, having been a, an operations manager, been a field engineer and superintendent, um, you know, how my focus is, is operations, planning, scheduling, how, how we get the job done um, and making sure that it gets done right. Whereas, you know, you have this, I, I wouldn't say a, a pull in the opposite direction, but you you have this, I, I, I don't even want to call it conflicting um, mission set, but it's, it's, it's they're complementary, but they, they have to yield to each other at certain places, and, and that being safety. And so, you know, want to talk through how the superintendent and the safety manager, safety professional interact on a job, um, and really just get Mike's perspective on safety and where it is in the industry. And yeah. the big thing, you'll never say it, but, you know, I think you're one of the more most academic to take one of the most academic approaches to safety. Um, and I, I always admired that working with you is that, you know, you, you weren't just flying by experience. Like you wanted to pull up the manual or, or, or go back to the publication and, and understand, you know, what, what's in black and white here. Um, you know, what makes sense, but hey, what we have here in black and white is, is, is law. And so, um, yeah, pull pull some of those those uh, those things from me. Oh, and you also were a professor uh, at a UTA, right? No, it or was it, it was a local JUCO. Okay, uh, it was a construction safety course, and did that for a couple of years before my schedule got too busy. Yeah, that so a a true professional in in regards to safety. So to to get a resource tap into. <laughs> And, yeah. and for everyone, for everyone listening as well, I am currently located in New York City, and they're both in Fort Worth together, hanging out, uh, dressed up for a night on the town, just doing me a favor, having this conversation with me, and then gonna gonna hit Fort Worth. But I think I think one of the things we I kind of wanted to start this off with. I think we see a huge influx of money and marketing and resources and publicity around safety in construction. I guess to Mike and Andrew, it's like, besides the kind of kumbaya website statement around safety, how true is that? How much financial gain or, or things you see in, in that industry that are correct to kind of the face value that we see on people's websites and things of that nature? Is it true? Is it not? Is it? 
like how, how much of it is cheerleading by how much of it is is legitimate is that I guess right. that's your question Mike, you've got the eagle eagle eye view in that regard. Yeah, I, I don't know that, uh, I, I think that the changes have been incremental um, and, you know, maybe slow, uh, but companies' marketing has gotten much savvier, uh, flashier, um, you know, improved probably in every regard, you know, especially now with, um, you know, all, all the competition there is. So um, I, I think that we've probably just gotten better at selling it, but at the same time, um, a lot of companies have, have gotten legitimately better, um, you know, to, um, you know, they're doing it for moral reasons. They don't want to hurt people. They, they want to have a, a good reputation and, and they figured out, uh, you know, that that's part of uh, having a family culture. But a lot of uh, companies, I think, have seen the light with um, the financial benefits, too. I mean, just how much better your bottom line can be if you're not shelling out money towards uh, claims for, for safety issues and quality issues and, and things that uh, are all preventable with, with a little bit of work up front. Um, but, yeah, I, I still chuckle at, at a lot of it um, because <laughs> I... I you know, when I do look at the website, I, I can usually see through some of it, um, and and some things, um, you know, are sometimes it's oversold, but um, yeah, the, just uh, take it with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's some genuine attitude to safety and well-being and the humans that, you know, especially for employee-owned companies and things of that nature. I only I only ask that solely because my career is in sales and selling to construction and other other types of companies. But in my in my last professional job, I, I was selling for a company that really did kind of near miss documentation and intranet and things of that nature. And we could quite literally prospect companies to sell to based on their like public claims, right? And we knew that they had an issue and we knew that it was costing them money. Um, but what we see like now is is really what we're selling to is that kind of humanitarian, keep your guys safe, keep your people safe and, and keep the company like a family, um, which I, I definitely love that transition. But um, in terms of you know, we, we spoke a little, Mike, and I really want to dig into this. I don't know if our listeners do or Andrew wants to get into it, but a lot of the kind of philosophy behind it and being a professor, can you tell us a little about kind of the mentality around safety when it comes to the industry and, and you know, the individuals and pushback and intentional pushback of being unsafe just because it's it's naturally a rule and people are trying to break it. Is that something you see? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, uh, fighting against, uh, some, some human nature, uh, with people wanting to do, uh, what's easiest for them. Um, you know, take the path of least resistance and our brains are naturally wired to conserve energy. So, you know, we form patterns and want to, uh, uh, you know, base our decisions off of our 
you know, experiences and past history, you know, versus, you know, using critical thought. And um, it's, it's always going to be there. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to make those mistakes based on, you know, our, our limitations and uh, just, just knowing those kind of things helps. And, and we can educate people on that. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when I was uh, teaching, my, my students uh, didn't have, uh, a lot of them didn't have context. I'd say maybe half of them were, um, you know, trying to work their way up in construction. Maybe they, they hit a wall with um, their um, ability to get promoted. Um, and, and needed to get some education under the belt. So some had construction context and, and some were, you know, waiting tables. So um, I, I had to start from the beginning with, uh, with safety and, and what it all was all about and, um, you know, why you should do it, the, the moral and financial reasons we, we talked about a minute ago. Um, do you find that, like, it, the conversation has to start with, I know it's your human nature to find... <laughs> like the easiest way and the, the way that will take the least amount of energy, but you have to understand that before you understand like how critical disregarding that and doing it the right way is. Do you educate them kind of on the mindset before that? I wish I had more, um, you know, these, I, I just, I learn every day and, um, you know, I'm, these are things that I've been picking up, uh, in recent years since moving out of, you know, the operational role and into a consulting role and, and having, you know, the opportunity to take a step back um, from the day to day. Um, I've, I've been able to, to see some of these things a little bit more clearly and get more perspective and talk to more contractors and, and figure some of this stuff out. Um, whereas before, you know, it was, uh, you know, more introducing them to the process and culture. And then inevitably, you know, you do need to spend some time on the construction playbook, you know, OSHA, OSHA standards. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to send people who are, you know, we're, we were training them to be supervisors, honestly, that, that was the level I was teaching to. Um, and, you know, it's hard to send them out in the field without some knowledge of, of OSHA. So it's, it's kind of, that was a tough one to ignore. Um, so we had that piece in there as well, but, um, I, I, I try to look at everything, you know, through the, the process lens or, or culture lens. So we spent a healthy amount of time on, on all that stuff. Yeah, with the culture lens, Mike, um, yeah, is that something you, you, you can have a, a small organization with a great culture. You can have a large organization with, with the, the back, um, is there a trend that you've seen that, Say the importance of safety trends towards larger larger organizations. Um, that's a good question. Um, I I would say um, with with larger organizations, you typically see the sophistication go hand in hand. Um, you know, because it's it's hard to be successful if you don't have um, some of those processes and and. Uh, culture in place for you to get there, you know, with, with safety and quality and operations and schedule and, and everything else, you know, you have to have some levels to get sophistication there. And, and it all to me goes hand in hand. Um, so yeah, I mean, more often than not, that's, that's what you're going to see. 
So are, are there small organizations that, that you've seen in your travels that do get it right and are on par with a, a large organization? I mean, is it is, is safety yeah, something that, you know, you have to be flush with cash and then have, have the ability to spend money on, on programs to, to be safe? Or, you know, I think you know, to take it back to, um, to relate this back to just everyday life, you know, I think one thing my mom always said that or my, my grandfather always said was, you know, you can be poor, but it doesn't mean you have to be dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's a great question too, because I feel like smaller companies like they have the mentality of like being scrappy, you know, and and getting what they can and coming up in the world, similar to like tech startups, right? It's like we got to bleed the the money we have to do the best we can, and and some things fall by the wayside. So, yeah, is is that kind of what you see, Mike? Or um, I think that. Uh you can get the biggest bang for your buck with, with leadership. I mean, programs, a lot of times are just words on paper and you can, uh, you know, hire a safety professional to build all that stuff for you, or you could go buy one online for 400 bucks. Uh, and you know, in some ways be in the same place. Um, but if, if you have leadership that says, Hey, we're not going to do this. You know, we're not going to hurt people. Uh, it's it's unacceptable to have injuries, and uh, this is this is our stance. You know, we're not going to put people at risk just to get this work done. We're going to invest in the right uh, tools and equipment, and we're going to give people the time to plan out their work and not have to make do with what they have. Um, a lot of that stuff doesn't have to cost uh, big money. Um, there, there's a lot of things out there in safety that, that provide questionable value, you know, it's hard to, to say that this investment paid off with this reduction in accidents or claims or, or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's not all, um, it doesn't all have to um, be, be big expenditures and you don't have to, you know, have a $20,000 barbecue or, um, back up a truckload of Yeti coolers um, to, to get the same results as, as having strong leadership that, that draws a line and supports employees and listens to employees. That, that stuff is cheap. Uh, and that, and that with all now, I'll riff on that a bit, Mike. So anyway, you mentioned the big barbecues, you know, backing up Yeti cooler, the, the getaway, giveaways, that sort of thing. Um, you know, do you see? Companies? I was gonna, I was gonna back that up and been like, I've never been to a barbecue where they give away three hundred yeah. coolers. It, it it exists. I mean, a lot of these bigger jobs. I mean, do you do you see that as as an effective way to to manage the safety program, uh, or or is that truly? You know, is that is that just throwing money at a problem? I think um, at the end of the day, it's just a way to to get engagement. And I think that it's, it's totally fine to have some elements of that. Um, obviously, you want to stop short of um, rewarding people for, um, you know, their lagging indicators like injury results. I was in a meeting one time, this little contractor, uh, or I could tell a small contractor, they, they said that uh, every month that they went without an injury, their owner would take them out for a steak dinner. And... <laughs> 
uh, OSHA was in the room and I could see the OSHA guy in the front just like shaking his head, putting his head in his hands. And, uh, it was, you know, for some of us, it was kind of humorous, but, you know, it's by doing that, they're probably uh, not getting reports of near hits and, uh, you know, other significant exposures that are going on. You know, if, if they're not reporting the, uh, the, the cuts and the back injuries and, and other things they can hide, they're, they're probably also hiding, um, you know, other big stuff and the big near misses that uh, are going to be, that are going to bite them one of these days. So um, it's, it's probably not the best use of, of time and effort. Um, there, there's a whole lot of other ways to spend your money, but I think it's a healthy element to have. So Mike, would you say what one example to kind of preface this question is, for example, you know, there were there's a massive casino job I know of in the place I live and I won't say it out loud. But when when the public, especially growing up in New York City, when the public hears about, let's say, God forbid, a death or a, a really bad like crane fall right in New York, we had. Horrendous, like we had something like four major crane falls in a year. Mm-hmm. Do you think educating the public, because I saw the backlash from the public being like, we need to support these guys. We need to keep them safe. Like this is bullshit. Do you, do you, do you have any hand in, in educating the public or do they have any hand in kind of the money that is spent on safety and the view of it at all? Um, I'm not, uh, too familiar with that. I don't know if I can speak to that one. Um, do you see it? Do you see it happen in the industry? Cause I do. And I, I kind of wonder what, what can, what can be made of kind of the public outreach for construction professionals, right? It's like, I don't mean to completely derail this conversation, but. That's kind of what I did. Yeah, I talking about how the public can see construction activities as a liability in their community by a a signal of forward progress, right? A, right, or they more, just care about like the people that work there, and they don't want to see some some guy falling off a man lift and really hurt himself and seeing it on the morning news when they're building a Best Western or a hotel in Fort Worth. You know, I think that public outcry with any issue is a is a huge power to like get people to take action and i was wondering if that's something you guys have seen just in your personal experience i mean um the the motivation to stay off of the front page of the newspaper is pretty high with um a lot of companies with probably most every company out there construction or or not um but i mean there's uh to me, the, the outcry is warranted. You know, there, there isn't a good reason for people to be dying just to, to get uh, uh, a building built. I mean, in hindsight, when something like that happens, it, it seems obvious that, that it was a waste of a human life, you know, uh, for the sake of progress. Um, but, you know, for the example you gave of a crane incident, I'm not sitting in New York City right now, but the idea of a crane coming through your apartment uh, in Manhattan is horrifying. 
Um, we, we had one here in Dallas a few years ago. And um, I, I think that the outcry is, is justified. But I mean, as far as educating the public, I, I haven't given any thought to what that would look like. I haven't been in, in a role that, that really touched on that. Um, but I mean, it, to, the thing that comes in my mind is um, human error is normal and people are gonna make mistakes, but you can't tell the public that, you know, they, they need to be reassured, um, but. Yeah, they want their they want their sixty eight floor skyscraper, but they don't want a screwdriver to fall out of a window at the very least. You know, it's like that's how I think about it in the sense that it's it's so important to keep the guys safe out there, but at the same time, you guys are doing insane things that are dangerous and things things do happen, right, Andrew? It's like how many of the guys on your site kind of keep that in mind or, or actually like take pride in it that they do something dangerous. And does that inhibit like the ability to make them safer? That's a younger crowd. I think that that kind of still lives that, that, that wild crazy mindset. Um, you know, I mean, it's like the steal a wreck guys from, the, I mean, but he, I mean, you've never seen anybody more ruthless and an iron worker foreman who sees somebody not tied off. Right, someone a, a former who, who cares and sees a young guy thinking he's going to go out there and be John Wayne, um, they're they're pretty harsh on each other for for safety violations. I mean, that's that's a fireable offense on the spot. So you know, I I, I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of that. I think I think most everyone who goes to a job understands that it's it's really it's up to them whether or not they get home safe that day. Um, not, not not completely. Obviously, there are things that, that the general contractor has has within their control to to ensure the things that other contractors have within their control to ensure um, a, a safe work environment. But yeah, ultimately, I don't I don't see anybody out there trying to trying to be evil can evil on a job. Um, and if they do, I mean, certainly in jobs I've been on, they, they don't last very long. Uh, you definitely got a good story about that. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, no, but, but Mike, I want to go back to what you talked about a bit. You mentioned human error um, just now, and you also previously you mentioned uh, you're wanting to be more process driven and, and safety. And, and actually, it's, it's I learned it last night in class. Uh, if, and when a when something goes wrong within a process, the, the status call was 85 percent of of these. Uh, instances can be attributed to process error, whereas 15% are attributable to human error. What What are your thoughts on on that? How would you define a process error? A process error being a a a process that is not repeatable to a high level of confidence in in regards to reduction of variance. What what uh, what was the study related to? Manufacturing primarily. Okay. So purely from a, a you know you think of people on a line something something goes wrong but right. um, you know and I get construction is not manufacturing I think mean, I think maybe someday yeah. <laughs> we can get there but what yeah what what's your thought on that the eighty five fifteen principle I think that that is that would be an admiral goal for construction, but I don't know, in my mind, just 
catching me flat-footed with those numbers, I feel like it's probably flipped. Really? Construction. Okay. You know, where, whereas, uh, you know, it, it would be great for it to be uh, process-related, but, you know, it's, it's mainly uh, on the human side. But if, if the process was built um, to anticipate the human error and, um, you know, you go in, design it with that mindset that people are fallible and people are going to make mistakes, then um, you can drive more towards, you know, it's, it's going to be equipment process failure type scenarios um, versus human. Versus human. And, and that's one thing that also along that those same lines of uh, process analysis is that you, you can typically have two types of process. A process, process that is either a robust pro process or robust people within a process. So in, in my mind, the construction industry is you know, lean more towards a, a model of, of robust people where you know, everyone kind of has their own process. No one's going to tell you how, how to go and, and pipe um, on, a, on a checklist, you know, unless maybe you're on a critical job like we worked on. Um, but yeah, I think typically it's, it leans towards robust people where, you know, a lot of the potential for error does lean on the human. So that makes sense why you, you say that. And I, I think that's consistent with, with what I've seen. That's why it kind of caught me off guard last night when I saw that 8515, um, you know, on, on the slide in class. But yeah, I, I, I agree with, with your assessment. There. That, uh, I, I like that. Robust process or, or robust people. Yeah. That's really good. I wrote that down. I'll, I'll send the, the PDF away. Andrew, just full of fun facts. Uh, man, was, I, that yeah, a, was, was that a haiku, Andrew? No. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's me learning. That's me uh, trying to get better at this 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 game of understanding, you know, the the, the world we live in, uh, particularly as it pertains to construction. Noah, did you know that I made a um, poster or some artwork dedicated to Andrew here. Uh, I, I I do not know that. I don't know that I've seen that, Mike. No, I have, and there's probably multiple, but uh, this one that I'm thinking of uh, was, uh, it was it was your quote that I think you said you stole from Jim Collins. Oh, yeah, 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 and in the end, okay, I did see that. Yeah, be, yeah. be hard on problems, not on people, and um, I, I really like that, and, and it kind of, dovetails in with uh you know some of what we've been talking about with uh you know planning planning in the human element um it i just can't understate you know how important that is and you know again how much i've, I've been learning about that um in in recent years since, since leaving the operations side it's been really fascinating well that needs to be on a coffee mug for sure andrew <laughs> or just like get everything at home goods, you know, and they, when all the ladies buy like the, this family needs to bless this home and all that. We can put that yeah. same thing in your kitchen. I bet I can get that poster from somewhere. I, I guarantee yeah. But yeah, there it was. it was. I remember that. It was like one of those inspirational. Yeah, posters. it was so black and white, you know. I was on the phone writing a JHA or something. Yeah, he was, he was tritasking. And uh, yeah. it, it was inspirational, to say the least. <laughs> Got all the house back. Uh, 
and I just I just kind of want to switch over. Like we we talk about the human aspect, and I I talk a lot with guests about the perception of construction workers. And I think Andrew, you and I kind of touched it on. There's no more like John Waynes and Evil Knievels in the industry anymore. But oh, I, I I think They're that just- is a misconception to the public. I think the the public kind of thinks they're just getting their job done like rough and doing what they can and and don't care about that and that's not what i see or you guys see at all do you think there's like a type of disconnect in like the view of the industry as a whole and actually like the human aspect like i work with this guy he's my brother like i want to keep him safe and home and andrew you can go into like the (laughs) <laughs> the armed forces and marines part of this but i feel like that that is a common thread of like this is this is my dude i want to keep him safe and if i have to call him out for doing stupid shit let's yeah. call him out and let's keep people safe and that's really where in in another my question is like where where does it begin where where do we really make change and i I see it as an outsider to tell you the truth is on like that grassroots level where it's let's bring my, let's bring my buddy home. And if he does some stupid shit, let's call him out. Let's call everyone out and make sure that we all go home to our kids. Yeah. I think any, any operational environment um, certainly requires a particular level of direct communication that might not be acceptable I would say maybe in a in an office or consulting environment. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that that's exactly right, Noah. It, I, I, you can do it professionally, um, and you know to take it back to to iron workers. You know they have that that red rope ar- around where they're erecting steel, um, and that's an absolute no no for anyone without permission to cross that red rope. And and we, we were. On a job where you know safety absolutely was was first, and and I think some people mistook that to be okay. We need to be slow and we need to be nice to each other. Um, you know, I had had an iron worker. Just he, he was, gosh, he was he was a rigger. I think I don't think he was a foreman, but um, talking about electricians getting in trying to duck the rope, and he he was just kind of confused, like. Man, I, I don't. I, I just. I want to yell at the guy, but I don't want to get in trouble and run off this job for being abrasive. And I, I looked at him and said, "Man, your job. You don't have to be nice. You're respectful always, but you don't have to be nice. Um, if someone's committing an egregious violation, like walking under red rope, be brutal. Be brutally honest. I mean, don't you don't get personal with it, but be loud. Use your outside voice." Um, and make sure that there's compliance. And if not, stop the crane. It's like, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll hold this thing up um, and we, we can back charge the, the other company for, for stopping production for not following the rules. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, there, there's a balance, you know, in an operational environment. I mean, I don't mistake being safe for being nice is, is what I'm getting at here. And I think right. And also it's like, again, from an outsider's point of view is, is, you know, if you don't follow process in my company and where I work, I don't have the chance of being completely electrocuted on an I-beam and falling two floors, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, 
it really is that kind of camaraderie or knowledge or at least awareness that you are around people you can very much affect, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's serious business. There, there's no there's no playing around when when steel's in the air or when we're about to energize something or and when we're about to um, put you know put pressure on pie. Like it's it's just, we, we just have I, I think we still have a ways to go for people to appreciate that risk. Uh, you know, um, that's my that's my golden retriever puppy. I apologize. Like Andrew and I have, have both been, you know, o- overseas and potentially some hostile environments where, you know, you, you know, at any minute something can happen. I mean, but it's not that much different on a construction site. It's just the hazard is different. And, um, you know, like I said, people, people get it, but people forget it. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, the whole complacency talk and but I think to squash that, Mike, it goes back to what you said about leadership. Yeah, it's totally squashable. Complacency is, is uh uh overused way too often. You know, we're, we're I was looking at some near miss reports the other day and, and that's just such a constant theme and easy button to click and say, you know, they, they were complacent, but complacent some complacency is something that, you know, can be defeated and you can uh keep that elevated awareness in in view and uh, uh, you know harness like you said Noah uh, earlier the the being your brother or your sister's keeper you know you can harness uh, those good vibes and uh, uh, carry it throughout the day every day yeah right it's totally, totally it, it's it becomes a leadership thing something yeah. something I've been uh, looking at studying, talking about with our, our contractors um, is the, the value of um, pre-test planning, uh, the, the morning huddle, the, you know, I, I started calling it the golden hour, you know, the first hour of the day, you know, uh, whatever, whatever they're doing in that first hour, you know, that's somewhat, you know, not production related, you know, the, your stretching, your inspections, uh, you know, your, your morning huddle, talking about the work before you do the work. Uh, you know, I I was always um, I had trouble getting behind the process sometimes in in some ways because I didn't see it. Um, you know, all the value uh, in it. You know, I, I didn't see its full potential like I'm beginning to see now. Um, and you know how important it is for for us to stop and think and, and realign ourselves every morning to understand, you know, how serious the risks are. Um, we can lose someone today doing this work. Um, you know, a, a lot of companies have adopted life-saving rules and, and things like that. And, you know, it's stuff we do every day. It's working. And that's around. a massive responsibility. Like walking on the job site, you need to know, how massive that responsibility is right Right. like it's just it blows my mind in the sense that someone and we talked about this earlier maybe it's human nature but that someone would disregard something to get what a half a day's 
quota done, right? A half day like activity done in three hours just so they can kind of break safety rules. And it's yeah. crazy. It's it's wild. Yeah. yeah, and you know, you have to look at the reason why they did it. They didn't do it to break safety rules. Uh they they did it because it made sense to them at the time, given the context right. of their situation, given tools and equipment, time and resources that they had, this made the most sense to them. And if you stand in their shoes, you will probably come to the same outcome. And if you don't, you probably need to look a little bit harder because people don't do things that don't make sense to them. Yeah, Mike, how, in that sense, how often is it the case of someone taking the path of least resistance by someone having a lack of education that they could do better? Yeah, no, that's, that's common. Um, but they probably, it probably wasn't the first time they did it, you know? Um, it, it probably wasn't the first time they took that shortcut. Um, you know, it probably was seen by their supervisor before and condoned. Mm. Um, it might have been shown to them. Um, you know, th there's a whole host of reasons, uh, you know, why that could have occurred. And it's just it's so important to, to get to the bottom of it. So do you, do you think about like the legacy, you know, the, like the people who have learned from someone who's learned from someone to, to skip the rules? Do you see, do you see that all the time? Like how, how do you, we correct that in the industry in the sense that it's kind of, it's multi-generational. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, a, a lot of people, uh, learn, learn things the wrong way and they bring that with them. And, um, it's, it's just inevitable that, uh, um, they're you gonna, think they intentionally know it's wrong and they've been taught it's wrong, but they can get away with it? Or do you think it's something that just yeah. is old school that they've brought in? Yeah, this isn't right, but this will work. Yeah. Got you it. Know, yeah. Uh, confident that I'll, I'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. And the person who showed it to them, you know, may not have ever had anything bad happen. They, they know it, it uh, doesn't align with the rules or maybe with the regulations. But, you know, the thing with some of these injuries uh, and, and deaths we see in construction is they are um, low in frequency, but high in severity. I mean, you, you may go your whole career without ever seeing one of these things happen. Uh, but, you know, when you're working around these high risk activities and, uh, you know, you've been shown the wrong way to, to do the task, you have a lack of supervision, you know, uh, like I said, people are, are condoning those, those kind of behaviors, um, you know, sprinkling a few, a few other uh, precursors, like being rushed for time, short on sleep, uh, you know, wh whatever it is, the, the risk amplifiers, um, bad stuff's gonna happen. Um, so, you know, coaching, Coaching approach is, is the right place to start. Questioning attitude, again, standing in their shoes, trying to understand, uh, you know, why, why it is it made sense to them. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not always apparent on the surface. You have to dig a little bit deeper. But after that, you know, find a path forward that works for everybody. And then you can't just turn your back. You know, it, it's going to take probably multiple touch points, multiple conversations up and down the organization 
to get that buy-in, uh, to get that behavior changed. Um, you know, but you, you got to help people with the why. And it's it's probably not, you know, Andrew coming out there and, and telling them about 85 and 15 percent, you know, the numbers aren't going to get them. Yeah, you know, no. it's not going to work. No, it's, it's classic change management. I mean, whether you're talking in a safety context, in an operational context, um, getting organizations to change and, and improve, whether that be for the better, uh, is it's difficult. It's, it's, I mean, their entire career field is dedicated to change management. And it's, uh, it, it can be incredibly beneficial. Um, it's just a tough hurdle to jump over. I think we can wrap our arms around change management. You know, there's so many times we see incidents or, or near misses or, or whatever level of outcome it had. And we point to, oh, there was a change in the task or the process or uh, however it, it came about, um, you know, personnel change, uh, equipment tool change, it could have been anything. Um, and, you know, we use that as our excuse. And, you know, we say, oh, we didn't reconvene and replan and, and all that. I'm, I'm really excited about figuring that out. You know, I, I think we, we can harness every member of the crew, we can train them, to identify those things that, that trigger, you know, a pause, regroup, um, you know, do another JJ pretest plan, have a conversation, you know, what, whatever that process is, I, we can we can do this. You know, it, it doesn't need to be just on the the, the foreman's shoulders. You know, all of us yeah. are smarter. You know, one of us or whatever the phrase. Yeah, is, you know? exactly. <laughs> that's, that's leadership enabling. The, the most junior person on a job site to stop any operation, I think. And, and to, to make it very clear you know, for, for everyone on the team, here's this is what we're doing. If, if any of these things change, we, we, we stop and reconvene. Exactly. I mean, there, there will always, always be minor variations from, from the original work plan. Um, but identifying those significant variances that, that alter the, the risk management profile of an activity um, should, should be key indicators and, and those should be called out and made, made clear to the crew. So, you know, hey, if, if, if for example, in a crane pick, if, if you know, we know being a, a certain mode and going a certain distance, uh, if that changes, everyone on that crew should, should know darn well that we're going to stop and redo our calcs, whether even if it's lighter, right? <laughs> but if we're go, but even if it's lighter, but we're going further. Uh, we we need to slow down and, and empower even the, the, the even the rigor even even just the ground hand to say hey guys we got to stop and do this uh, and it, to me that goes back to leadership yeah empowering the everyone on the team yeah. to, to stop work and and it takes it takes a lot of work up front you know to uh, get get your supervisors and crews educated to do that um, and you said it really well Andrew I mean you. There are changes in the day that you can predict. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if you've got mild winds, you know, there's a decent chance you could deal with heavy winds or heavy wind gusts at some point in the day. And so it's important to know, hey, we're going to stop when we hit X number of miles per hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, hey, we might get in this load of steel today. And here's what we got to do if, if that happens. And, and you can talk about those, those foreseeable things. Um, and, and know what the guardrails are, you know, uh, with those known activities, but it's the unknowns 
outside of that, the unexpected changes, uh, the things that uh, you know we, we didn't foresee that um, we need to know about too and educate people. Those are the times when we do need the harder stop, reconvene, um, and you know don't don't just say you know stop for change. I mean let's let's be specific. So uh, guys, is it is it more complicated because you're in a dynamic environment in which you have to deal with so many different companies, right? In a normal realm of a business, you deal with different departments, but with you guys, you're dealing with different trade contractors, different ideologies, different opinions on safety, different opinions on humanity, everything of that nature. So it's like, I need to get my, my work done and I'm not worried about them. Is that a mentality that affects safety drastically or is it kind of, we're all here on this job, let's not cut off a finger today. Let's all get home. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, any, any lack of alignment is, is going to hurt a job. You know, again, it doesn't matter which discipline we're talking about, um, you know, having having consistent culture and processes with, within, uh, you know, uh, boundaries that make sense based on contractual limitations and and you know company borders and, and things like that. But um, yeah. And Andrew, how do you how do you achieve that with seven different mm -hmm. companies working on the same job? Yes, they have the same goal, but they have different company goals. They have different everything that they're working for, right? They have different culture, so on and so forth. How do you align them to understand what is going on on the site is dangerous and needs to be perfect? Yeah, so I mean, that, that goes back again to to making sure the right leadership's in place at those organizations. Um, you know, everyone's naturally going to go out there and work for themselves. Um, you know, they, they all have you know, a, a certain chunk of the schedule that has been bought out. They all have a finite amount of material to install um, in a specific area in which to install it. And, you know, a lot of times they'll be very territorial about that and draw lines in the sand. I mean, it's even, you know, it's, it's just, it's human nature. It's, just, it's, it's our we, We'd love to say it all was Wusa and we could fix that. And we yeah. can talk about how you guys fix that on job sites and in culture, but that's always been the craziest thing to me. It's like, how do you invite 12 different companies with 12 different yeah. objectives, 12 different cultures and 12 different ideas of thinking about something, and then they hire out and bring them to you? How do you align that, especially for safety? Yeah, I think I really mean, I think it starts with uh, aligning from an operational standpoint, understanding that yes, you know, we, we are all going to concur that, that safety is first, but getting everyone, you know, I, I love getting everyone around a set of drawings and, and watching that, where I get to a point where I can step back and let, let the trades talk about how they're gonna build something around a set of drawings at the wall. Um, or, you know, if you got pull plan, uh, sticky notes on the board or whatever you're doing, uh, get, getting them to align there first and collaborate. Uh, but that starts with the superintendent and that start the GC superintendent, I would say, as, as the lead, as the 
the lead for the field on that job, uh, creating an environment where it's like, guys, we're in this thing together. We're, we're all going to be profitable together. Um, you know, I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure that you all keep moving forward. Uh, but hey, I'm 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 not the oracle here. I'm I'm not the person. I don't know everything, and I don't know everything about what you do. But know that I'm going to work my ass off to keep you moving forward, and, and let's have an open and honest conversation if you feel that's not the case. Um, and if, and all that also goes hand in hand with brutal honesty. If if someone's falling behind, if having done your job well enough as a superintendent to identify that and have a conversation like, look, man, you're falling behind. Everyone else who's dependent on your activities being done are suffering because of this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to you know, have a one-way downhill conversation with you. We're, we're going to have a, a mutual conversation, figure out how we can get better. Uh, and then from there, if that doesn't work, you know, you, you take more, you start to escalate. But um, you know, ultimately, it's you're, you're kind of the shepherd. You're, keep, you're keeping the sheep moving in one direction. Um, and you know, safety comes with that as, as long as they understand that you know we're, we're working together as a team and then once you make safety your priority and, and make that known that that we're not going to force the scope of work we're not going to push uh you know a last second pick that doesn't have a you know the, the right paperwork filled out that we're going to stop we're going to do things right and once they see you do that and, and you live by that then i think you start to get their buy-in and they start to believe what you're preaching. But if, if you can get them to talk about it until they're blue in the face, but if you don't actually do it, then yeah. you have a very difficult time keeping things moving together. And I wish I could say I was, I was the best at it. I certainly have a strong grasp of the concept, but um, man, actually doing it is, is tough. Yeah. No, I mean, that that's true too. It's like we all cut corners, right? We all yeah. do. And if you're good at what you do, I've worked in sales my entire life and I figure out the way to work smarter, not harder is what we say in sales. But basically, I don't want to do this. So I'll figure out how to do that way is kind of exactly what you're you're talking about. Yeah. And you kind of can't blame people for that, which is odd. Right. I, I love what uh, Andrew's talking about in terms of alignment, um, because that has become abundantly, abundantly clear to me lately, um, just how important that is to have that through the project life cycle from from bid to punch, you know, mm -hmm. bidding, pre-con, um, you know, mobilization, construction phase, closeout phase, um, having ideally razor sharp alignment through that whole life cycle. And, and of course, I'm just talking about safety, um, but I, it's just project management. Um, and, and uh, you know, if in the case of a multi-employer worksite, you know, or GC, it's, it's trade partner management. Um, but, you know, if, if you, if the work is designed solely around or the project is designed solely around scope of works and and everybody just has their little scope and their piece and that's that's all it is and and there's no grander scheme and there's no bigger picture and, and there's uh you know not uh expectations around working within the schedule uh having 
actually having a scope for safety, just like you do a production scope. Mm -hmm. Don't treat it any differently. Um, having, uh, you know, expectations and, and time bought out just for having meetings. You know, a Andrew ran a pull plan uh, meetings every day, right? Yeah. And the, the contractors need to know about that stuff. You know, if, if that's the plan going in, they need to know about that time and, and effort uh, for, for that. And um, it, uh, the daily meetings on, on larger projects, you know, time of the day changes, but it's, it's a pretty regular theme uh, that uh, that is the, the place to find uh, and, and get alignment, you know, as, as the project's built out. And that, that also comes into context with like near misses too. If you're having weekly meetings and no one's talking, it's like, God forbid, what what's going to happen there, right? Some of the, the foremen might email each other, but not everyone knows what's happening. Right, right, yeah. Get talk about what your major risks are. You know what's what's the the worst thing that can uh, thing or things that can happen, and and what are the most likely things to happen, um, and and get the trades talking to each other. Um, you know, because trade congestion and um, overlap and things like that. I mean, those are serious risks. Yeah, I like I like the so daily meetings are, are a must, both both from a production and a safety standpoint. Uh, you know, but we can meet until we're blue in the face. But if we don't run an effective meeting that is well structured and has very concise do outs, we're wasting our time, and I would argue we're going backwards. So, and I think that's on the GC superintendent and, and project lead to establish those those processes early. Um, and adhere to them very strictly. So, for example, yeah, I would I would make a, a point to go to morning uh, stretch and flex with with trades, and I try try to kind of bounce around. And I, I listened to some that were phenomenal, and I listened to some that were just garbage. It, no one got anything out of it. You mean the pre-test? Yeah, the, the pre-test, the morning huddle. Yeah, somebody's at a, a whiteboard writing down. You know, things are saying, okay, guys, we're doing this today on the job site. What do we need to look out for? And you know, example I've used before is, okay, we're doing your 24-inch uh, trench for, for site lighting and security. Okay, great. And then somebody in the back calls out, 100% tie-off, right? We, we're, we're putting in a 24-inch with a trencher. And, you, and this guy's in the back saying we need to have tie-off. Like, <laughs> you know, that that's, that's where you, you, if you see something like that happen, you you start to wonder, okay, are we, are we actually getting anything out of these meetings? Or we're just or, throwing out buzzwords. Yeah, or are we just delaying going to work? Yeah, we're just throwing out buzzwords and hanging out. Uh, so, a meeting then, for a meeting. It's like, yeah. I, I literally, it's the worst thing in my life. It would yeah, be a well, meeting for a meeting. There's, there's, it's, not even, it's not even a meeting at that point. It's, it's a... It's an, well, sometimes it's an ineffective break. Sometimes your coffee is too <laughs> hot. You yeah, too right, hot. you got to wait. Yeah, but that's that's when you talk about, you know, the, the ball game or whatever. But, um, or you no, got I, your pee going out to buy cigarettes for you, and you got to you gotta draw it out a little bit. No, not at all. The, but the uh, I, think, I think the overall thing there is, you know, I love what Mike's saying, you got to meet daily. Um, and I'm just 
tagging onto that to say, yes, meet daily and make sure that your meetings are effective and, and have a, and make it very clear to the team what, what's expected prior to a meeting and, and what you expect to get out of the meeting. But um, something I've seen um, with pool planning, I, I found interesting is um, contractors will use that as an opportunity to uh, get everybody aligned on the major risks coming up mm-hmm. and even use like stickers or, or you know, um, the logos for their different, um, you know, life-saving rules or commitments um, that call out their, their major uh, risks, you know, hey. Throwing like a safety yeah. dimension to yeah, the we've got, production plan. You know, we've got an excavation here. We've got confined space here. Yeah. We've got tower crane going up here, going down there. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got multiple trades using it here. We're, we're loading using a forklift here. We've got potential for falling objects. You know, we've got the public on this side of the project. You know, we've got, you know, we're at this height, we have this exposure and, and just uh, being able to uh, call those out in, in that meeting uh, is, is a really neat idea. Yeah. No, it is. Um, Here's kind of the point. What you just what you just heard was a slack from me to to Andrew. Yeah, saying that's that's an amazing idea. Yeah, it's like tabbing tabbing activities and tickets is genius. That's perfect. That's the perfect solution. Like a general note, um, yeah, we would. uh, The only thing too, we're talking production now. I know, I know safety and production are hand-in-hand. Hand. They, they have to be hand-in-hand. Hand. A, a stance that I, I took in the past is when I was running these meetings, I, I kicked all the safety guys out. <laughs> I, was, I, I would maybe <laughs> let them listen. Um, but I, I don't... And I don't know, maybe this will dovetail or flow into the next topic of whether the safety guy on a job site is perceived as a, as a police officer or as a coach. But in where I was before, it was, I think it was more police officer and I, I didn't want them to be in our production plan meetings, but. Um, AGC has a, a topic uh, this week at their national conference uh, called coach or referee. Coach or, okay. Yeah. I like, I like that one. Yeah. I'm interested to see. But they actually give, like, they would give out tickets. Yeah. Like, they, you know, they would do these observations and everyone would get an email about it. And that would be, you know, two hours of drama. Um, but, I mean, yeah, what, what's your take, Mike? Like, is, is a, a safety professional? So, and I, I'll just say this. Like, my, my understanding, and this may be shared across the industry or not, is that the superintendent is primarily responsible for safety on job site. Supers are responsible for safety, quality, and schedule. Safety is just a resource or advisor, right? Right, right. And that, that, that's my stance. I don't, you know, I'm obviously you can catch things quicker than I can from a safety standpoint. Um, I remember that one time we were assembling the, the double wide trailer. We mobilized to the data center. They had their lifeline uh, across the middle of the roof, right? And that whole thing never saddled a dead horse. And you caught it. I didn't catch it, right? Where, where he had had the, the, the running end of his lifeline and his, his clamps uh, set up backwards. I didn't catch it. You caught it. I got so pissed off. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but, 
Uh, they were pissed off too. They were, oh yeah, they were furious, and they <laughs> they kept getting it wrong. Uh, and I would I would go back and catch them, and and they'd be like, "Which one is it?" I was like, "The one we showed you to begin with." But um, the best uh, for me with with those guys was when they they brought the thing out to the job site. <laughs> the thing. They called the, the trailer piece, jack. They called this piece of equipment <laughs> the thing, and it oh, was yeah. it was a a, a freaking creature. Um, they they took a ball hitch. Um, yes, they they put a ball hitch on a Clark forklift mast, and they took the mast uh, with all the hydraulics and welded it onto a skid steer. Yep. And the welds are rough. Bad. Does, doesn't seem like a problem. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. He, he showed showed us the pictures from his shop, and it's just like this giant pool of hydraulic <laughs> fluid you know like 50 gallons of hydraulic fluid all over the floor i forgot about the thing it was it was a masterpiece i mean it was like genius it was totally genius. Genius. And, and i mean there's moments like that you feel bad it's like i know this is the best tool for for getting this done uh and yes if you don't have employees on the ground uh exposed to it I mean, I get it. This, yeah. this could be the safest way to do it. But if things go wrong, this is <laughs> this is a crisis. <laughs> I mean, this looks so bad. I mean, yeah. I, I could I could show you ten different rules uh, that uh, apply in the situation. Uh, you know, for one, but I mean, it would be a field day. But I love those kind of things. Uh, uh, we were talking at, at uh, the office the other day about improvisation. And somebody was saying, that's not a real thing, is it? That's not a big risk. And I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, man, yeah. Improvisation. <laughs> that's yeah. Like, have you ever worked on your own house? Like, Mike, you were a, a junior airman, you yeah. know, in, in the uh, Civil Engineer Corps, yeah. you know, in the Air Force. Like, how, how much, how many things, particularly on deployment, I would say, just got you know, fixed <laughs> that were, you know, <laughs> I would say creatively so. No, we, we didn't have any of the safety equipment we needed, but we had work that needed to get done. So I put a ladder inside of my boom lift and I climbed to the cap of that ladder and I did my welding. Yeah. I did my work. And, and Noah, you said you talked about at your house. The first thing that popped in my head was was my dad the other day. He was uh, uh, he was working uh, solo, which is you know not a great idea when you're working with uh, electrical, but uh, I was working solo at the house trying to help me out while he was hanging out watching the kids or, or doing something. And uh, he he tried once to find the right breaker to shut off, and once was enough. <laughs> he, he couldn't find the right breaker, gave up after one try, and just jammed a screwdriver in the wall and shorted it out and had his little arc flash and <laughs> surprised at how big it was. But, just blew I mean, all your mom's new light fixtures. Yeah, but we probably shouldn't get Andrew started about adapt and overcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I've recently bought my my father a what <laughs> chainsaw <laughs> chainsaw on a stick solely because I apologize about the dog voice, but chainsaw on a stick because that man is climbing ladders in Florida that are fifteen twenty feet high. Rested on a palm tree trying to cut palm fronds. It's like no, oh, yeah. absolutely not, yeah. bud. Yeah, or or uh, me in high school, you know, my dad put I get get back from working twelve hours at the shop, 
and I'd, I'd come back and, and dad would put me in the bucket of the tractor and we'd go through the woods and I would he'd lift me up with a chainsaw and I'd cut limbs. And I, I would stay, like the bucket would be in the air and we'd just move from tree to tree. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing, right? And, and like, kind of going back to the previous topic, like, we kind of get used to doing things like that. Totally. Um, understanding that we can't translate that sort of behavior to a, a job site, to, to professional environment. Like even on the farm and ranch too. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that have been done that you know, people had to do it because there was no other way. You know, they're out. It's 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 an hour and a half to town, and, and you can't stop. Just I to mean, yeah, I've I've fixed hog. fixed like a bush hog while it was still running because I couldn't turn it off. That that doesn't seem yeah. safe, right? <laughs> it's the things that you've done in the past that you, you've got to totally be able to remove that lens of the, the stupid things that you've done before and, and look at it anew from the perspective of okay what can go wrong here how can we avoid it um and you know how can we keep the job moving forward safely um but yeah i i think it's it's a really cool philosophical or safety discussion question, you know, why are we safer at work than we are at home? Oh, yeah. You know, if it is. If, it's, if, if we're just being safe at work because someone's looking over our shoulder or there's a rule or, you know, something like that, I mean, is that what we need at home? Do we need a rule to do it the right way or do we just know what the right way to do it is? We don't want to get hurt. You know, we want to be there for our kids and spouses and family and hobbies and everything else, you know. Um, well, I think it would it would result to the fact that it's more singular, right? It's if Andrew decides to, you know, throw a bush hog on a tractor and cut his own hand off, it doesn't have any effect on his kids, his wife, the people he loves, the people he works with. But on the job side, it does. Man, I, I, me, me without a hand is, you know, yeah, that's the whole family's got to deal with that, whether I did it at home or not. Um, I, you know, I, I, just, yeah, I do, I do question why. I mean, there, there are things I just, we should totally remodel the house, and there are things I did remodeling the house that, you know, I, I even thought of you, Mike. I was like, Mike Dickerson would chew my butt right now. <laughs> if he saw this extension cord, uh, it's unserviceable extension cord, you know. But but yet I'm using. It. I threw it away. I did it throw it away, Mike. Uh, just just for you. But uh, no, that is curious. Is it, are there? I mean, is there any science behind why why the, the mentality shift there, Mike? Um, science. You know, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, I think just talking through it the anecdotal evidence you know people people agree with you know it's um safety traditionally is is rule-based and compliance-based and you know for you know at least that's where it starts for a lot of companies and hopefully companies are more in the commitment-based value-based type category um where you know they they do these things because they you know, like we talked about earlier, it's just they view it as the right thing to do. So we just having safety as a habit, a 24-7, uh, 
um, Abbott, I, I think it's so important to, to get there with uh, your employees. Uh, I'm I'm very cynical in the fact that I grew up in New York and I feel like big business never has the the right thing to do, but that's why I moved to construction. I, I think it's actually probably 50-50. Every company is like really doing the right thing to do. Yeah. Thanks. But I think the ones that don't uh, self-select. I think the ones that don't, or maybe not self-select, but they uh, they, they get weeded out in the process. Like they, they they may burn fast and they, they may burn hot, but they, they, they burn out quicker than, than the ones that, that do things right and are in this for the long haul. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I love how I can hear my Slack. All right, guys, we we can we can slow it down. Thank you so much, Mike, for for being on this and entertaining our our silly idea as a small company. But it's awesome for me because I get to talk to a bunch of people like you who are super enlightening and and wildly intelligent. So thank you for that.